Another thing that happened today is we signed the sales agreement on this. We had been leasing it up until now. We signed the sales agreement. We own this, so welcome home, family. And we're pretty close to owning the women's facility. It's in due diligence and looking right. So everything is coming along just the way it's supposed to go. All of the rumors of our demise were greatly overstated. <laughs> and we've been opening every meeting this year because of all these blessings that we've been receiving and continue to receive and all the great people that we continue to receive in here and get to, to help on their way to another different life purpose. Um, we've been opening with a prayer and tonight we have Pastor Justin Prue, who's gonna come up and give us a word. Come on, man. You gotta be right up here on camera. Hello? Ooh, that's loud. All right, well, I definitely want to honor God for everything that's been going on here because I know that these things would be impossible without God. So I believe he's moving in every one of your guys' lives right now. Uh, someone said earlier that this is a place of miracles, um, and I believe that to be true. So let's honor him. Father, we thank you for everything that you're doing in our lives, in the members' lives, in our families' lives. We honor you, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you. So I just want to open this PON with the praise, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I thank you so much for everything you've done in my life, for everything you're doing in every person's life here right now. I decree and I declare over every person present in this room right now that from this day forward, you will never be the same. I decree doors of opportunity will start to open for you. From this day forward, you will have new revelations of new dreams and visions, things that have been died past long ago, start come back to life in your life. And I bind up every spirit, every demonic force that would come against you, your plan, your family, your destiny right now in the name of Jesus. And Father, I loose your mercy, your favor, and your grace over every man and woman here today. And I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah! Woo! Justin finds his enthusiasm someday. Huh? All right, so those of you, who, anyone here for the first time tonight? Very good. So you, you may experience us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. The primary reason that's liable to happen is we intend for you to have a very different experience here. What we do here is we take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week, directly out of this book, and we use this book in 12-step recovery, why? It works. Yeah, the process described by the authors of this book's been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances. Fair enough? So what we do here is not tell you what the book says, because what the book says to you is none of my business, but I am a fair expert in my own experience, so I'll show you how I find my experience in this book and encourage you to have yours. And the reason I wanna do that is this is their testimony. The book is called Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. And so this is their story, the first 100 telling their experience with the first several thousand. So it's 
none of us alive today recorded in here, but if I can find my experience in theirs, I certainly can have an expectation of an outcome similar to they described. Does it make sense? So that's what we're going to try and do, and tonight we're going to look at steps five, six, and seven, and that puts us starting in chapter six of our book, if you're following along, on page 72. And if you're not following along, that's okay too. Um, little chapter called Into Action. So we went from how it works into action. Do you think that that's intentional? How many in your addiction for a time tried to think your way into better acting? And then you ended up in a room like this, didn't you? So what we've learned, people with addictive disorder cannot think their way into better acting. But having had this encounter with power that we described in two and learned the facts about themselves through the four, five process, then we can act our way into better thinking. And so we got a chapter called Into Action. They're going to start describing how that revelation of the spirit in us starts to come to us. Does it make sense? All right. So it says, having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? Question mark. So when they put a question mark in this book, it's time to go inward. So how many of you have made a personal inventory? Some percentage of you. Did you have someone tell you what to do about it or did you make it up? Because somebody told me what they did with it, right? Okay. It says, we've been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator and to discover the obstacles in our path. Is that what you've been trying to do? How many of you didn't know quite clearly that's what you were trying to do? Some percentage of us don't know we're trying to get a new relationship with a creator we may or may not believe in. Any of you come from the atheist or agnostic persuasion? Sure, that happens, right? Okay, so, so if I don't believe in this power, why would I want a new relationship with this power? I wouldn't unless someone was bearing witness to me that I once thought and felt as you did, but I doubt I'd have made much progress had I not taken action. Here's the step I took. Here's what I experienced as a result. And what these people witnessed to is this power we call God, creator, dwells within. And the world has no power to make me feel How I'm thinking and feeling gets projected on the world. And so I get imprisoned in the world because I don't realize that the storm's within me. And so they learned that if they were having a tough time in creation, all they had to do was check in with creator and the world straightened out. And that's their witness. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's why we would do it and we would discover the obstacles in our path. Right? Okay, so it says we've admitted certain defects and we've ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. So what is the trouble in a rough way? Various manifestations of self, yeah? Driven by fear? Okay. It says now these are about to be cast out. This requires action on our part, which when completed will mean that we've admitted to God. Oh, that was weak. Come on. We've admitted to God. There you go. There you go. 
to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our defects. This brings us to the fifth step in the program of recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter. So back in how it works, they told us a little bit about all the steps of recovery. And now in how it works, having made our personal inventory, they're going to tell us how to walk it out. Does it make sense? Okay. So this is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. So how many of you have looked at the steps on the wall and go, oh, no. I'm not telling that to anybody. Anybody had that experience? Because to a person, we've all sort of had that fear grip us, right? Okay. So we think we've done well enough in admitting these things to ourselves. Anybody in that class? Since there's doubt about that. Why is there doubt? Because their actual experience was... That if self's the problem and all I'm doing is self-analysis, then I really haven't disclosed much to pierce my delusion. Right? Anybody agree with Sean that we might have suffered from some delusion? Okay, very good. I'm amongst my peeps. (laughs) All right. So... So we'll be more reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reasons why we should do so. That makes sense? Show me, don't tell me. Okay? The best reason first, if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. So the first question you ask yourself is, did you come here to overcome your drug addiction? Did you come here to overcome drinking? And I don't mean new freedom, because you may have come here for any number of reasons. But did you come to recovery specifically to overcome? How many of you just came to rest? So some of us have come to rest and now we're serious, right? Okay. Well, that's not a good reason if you're not here seriously wanting to overcome, right? That's, that's the only reason we ask. We're not trying to poke fun, but most of us have had a bounce or two because we picked the parts we liked and we discarded the parts we didn't like, and then we got the same result we always got. Okay. All right. So time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to themselves certain facts about their lives. Anybody? Any of you among the, all I do is don't pick up no matter what, nothing else has changed. I don't know if that works for anyone else, but I can tell you the guy who showed up here, if he had not been radically changed in that moment, he wouldn't be alive today to tell you this story. That's all I can tell you about me, but I'm this hopeless variety guy. So trying to avoid this humbling experience, they've turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk. Having persevered with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. Any of you have been in that class? Man, I was doing everything. I went to meetings. I made coffee. (laughs) Did anyone ever tell you there is no rest of the program? It's a manner of living. If you have a breath in your lungs, you have agreed to advocate for your brother or sister for the rest of your life. And if you will do that, all the schemes of the evil one will be cast down. And if you don't agree to do that, you may come under attack. Again. Okay. So 
We think that the reason is they never completed their house cleaning. A lot of people think the completion of the house cleaning happens when I do a four and a five. Uh-uh. That was just arming me with the facts about myself. Now I got to go out and make amends for harm's done to get fit enough spiritually to go into that dope house, into that terrible scene, and pull my brother and sister out with no ill effect. So the big amends and the house cleaning isn't going to happen until I'm doing 12. And I'm going to have to be fit enough to do that, or I end up stuck in the trap house I went in to rescue the fellow from. <laughs> anyone, anyone here ever been stuck in a trap house? <laughs> All right, so we know that happens, right? Okay. They took inventory all right, but they hung on to some of the worst items in stock. They only thought they'd lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves. They put the word thought in italics. Why do you think they did that? It's important. And where's the main problem center? In the mind. Remember, we can't think our way into better acting. We have to act our way into better thinking. So if I thought myself humble, I just lost my humility. If I thought myself selfless, there I are. Any of you catch a selfie of you being selfless? Tricky stuff, this selflessness, isn't it? So it's going to require action, not thought. And they're trying to call our attention to that. Does that make sense? Okay. But they had not learned enough of humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we find it necessary until they told someone else all their life story. They put all in italics. Why? How many of you thought the minute you stopped drinking and drugging and thugging that your life as you knew it was over? What am I going to do now? How many of you found out when that new life force came in and you started finding per power and purpose in your walk, you just started living maybe for the first time? So I got this whole life story to tell about that dead man and what he was brought from. And in using that story of the dead man to help the dead man I've been sent to, I get to see him get up and walk away. And the healing he needed flowed through me. That means I got mine. Does it make sense? See, that we're trying to help you to understand why you want to do the entire manner of living. Not because it's a rule, but because it's the only way I receive my healing is to convert my musty past into a healing instrument. Does it make sense? Okay. So more than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. Where's my meth addicts? You got at least two, right? <laughs> Oftentimes in the same night. Right? <laughs> He's very much the actor. To the outer world, he presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. I, I neglected something. Uh, a friend of ours, a sister, is home tonight, and she's watching us from home. So shout out to... Sierra, Sierra, welcome back with us, if you would. So he wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. They're talking to me about the storm within me. I want you to think of me this way, but I know I don't deserve to have you think of me this way. Any of you relate to that? 
How many of you can feel that at your core? That's the power we call God. That's a tangible power. That is your spirit informing you of, yes, I have experienced that storm. Okay? We're aligning ourselves with them. All right. So the inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Anyone here relate to sprees? Okay. Coming to his senses, he's revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. Any vaguely remember? Any vague remembrances? Where's my drinkers? We got lots of vague remembrances, right? Okay. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they'll never see the light of day. Where'd they tell us the power was found? Do you relate to this plan of pushing these memories far inside ourselves? Doesn't sound like a very good plan after we found out that my power and purpose is found within and it's obscured by calamity, pomp, and worship. But every time something embarrassing comes up, I shove that all back down on top of my light. Any of you relate to that? Okay. So it says he's under constant fear and tension, and that makes for more drinking. The doctor opined that we would be restless, irritable, and discontented unless we could again experience ease and comfort. And the authors are saying we experience constant fear and tension. Can you relate to that? Where's my addicts in the room? My alkies in the room? Have you... Remember getting a little clean time and you shook that stuff off and you just felt worse and worse and worse? Would you describe it as constant fear and tension? And where, do we, where does our help come from? Until we find out about this power and purpose within, we, we know where to go find it, don't we? Okay. All right. So they say that makes for more drinking. Psychologists are inclined to agree with us. Any of you seen us? Psychologists along your journey? Oh, there should be far more hands in here. Most of you that are residing here right now saw some recently. We have spent thousands of dollars for examinations. Anybody? Did you tell them the whole truth? Did you follow their advice? We know but few instances where we've given these doctors a fair break. We've seldom told them the whole truth, nor have we followed their advice. This is why the peer model that we function on here and the peer model AA has always functioned on is so critically important. Because as a peer, I'm not sharing with you my opinion. I'm sharing with you my experience. And the reason you don't want to share your opinion with the likes of me is I have spent thousands of dollars for informed medical opinions, lied to get those opinions, and then ignored the results. Because that's what I do. But when you tell me I once thought and felt as you do, but I doubt I'd have made much progress had I not taken action, here's the action I took, here's what I experienced as a result, and now that power I found in me has sent me to you. And I can show you how to walk out of here. And I got to know how to walk out of here because I ain't been able to walk out of nowhere in a long time. Does it make sense? All right. So it says, unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else. Small wonder many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance for recovery. Have you guys noticed that in the medical world? Did they accuse you of drug-seeking behavior? 
it's kind of the way they got the system set up, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. We do, Sean. We exhibit drug-seeking behavior. <laughs> we must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. So you ask yourself, do I expect, do I even hope to live screw long, just happily? Any, any of you get so down in your stuff that you really didn't care about long life? You would just like to have a glimpse of what happiness felt like. So you ask yourself, would I expect that? No. But could I hope for that? Yes. And so they're going to tell me about that. Rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose the person or persons with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. So it's going to be frightening for me to go give my confidence, put my confidence in somebody else. But I desperately want the freedom and I want to experience happiness, even if it's just for this long. I don't dare to hope for long, but anybody with me? So this is why that desperation is going to drive me to overcome my fear and ask this person to help me find me. Yep. Right? The effort of the fourth step, the fifth step, the sixth step, the seventh step, the eighth step, the ninth step is simply trying to get me free of the bondage of self. Relieve me of me so I'm free to be me. Right? Then I don't have to operate in your opinion of me. I can operate as I was intended by my creator and you can like me or not like me, but I'll be respectful because I'll be empowered to be kinder than I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. All right. So those of us belonging to a religious denomination, which requires confession must, and of course will want to go to the properly appointed authority whose duty it is to receive it. So if you come from a tradition, a Catholic tradition, or some tradition that requires confession, by all means go to confession, but do not replace your AA practice with a religious practice because you may not get the full benefit. Do both, and you'll accentuate the, the other. Does that make sense? And then it says, though we have, we have no religious connection, we may still do well to talk with someone ordained by an established religion. Any of you do that? In our population, many times we want to do that because at least what we have to say is protected by the confessional and some of the things that we have to say need to be. Yes? yes. We may have pending charges <laughs> and the like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we may be trying to beat the clock. <laughs> Keep it on the down low. <laughs> okay. So we often find such a person quick to see and understand our problem. How many of you have met religious people who could see and understand your problem? How many of you have met some that could not see and understand your problem? They thought they saw my problem. How many of you had people telling you they thought your problem was alcohol or drugs? How many of you realized at some point that although that was problematic, it was not the main problem? Okay, so of course we sometimes encounter people who do not understand alcoholics. So let's bring that home. How many of you have met people who do not understand alcoholics? My ex-wife. <laughs> how many? How many of you have met them in rooms of recovery? How many of you have tried to help a friend of yours and then they ripped you off and 
went out and did something just heinous and that son of a bitch. How many of you have been angry at yourself because of incomprehensible behavior? Ah, so perhaps you don't understand alcoholics. So self-delusion is a, is a characteristic. And so I'll judge me by my intentions and you by your actions. And it'll be ugly. All right. So my point to all of that is I don't have to go any further than right here to find someone who does not understand alcoholics. I'm not here to understand me. I'm here to experience him and share that with you. Okay. If we cannot or would rather not do this, we search our acquaintance for a closed mouth understanding friend. Guys, if you're hoping to embark on this manner of living, what you're hoping to grow into is a closed mouth understanding friend. And if you don't believe me, ask those of us who are endeavoring now to help people. When we first started, we were neither terribly closed mouth nor understanding. However, the more confidence we shared, the more flow of the spirit we shared, the more healing we experienced, we grew in our understanding. Have you ever noticed the steps on the wall, how they don't say a God of your understanding, they say a God as we understood him, and they're talking about the experiential God, the tangible God that gave them power and purpose in their life, and they're not talking about you and me and our understanding, they're talking about God's understanding through me which I grew in as a result of taking part in the ministry that he redeemed me for. And when I say he redeemed me for, I was a dead man. Trust and believe that. I got a letter Sean read, incapable of conducting any personal business emotionally or mentally. That's what they said about me, the shrinks. And today we run around here running the biggest reentry center in the country, and y'all are part of the biggest movement in Second Chance. And you guys are gonna change the world. Believe that. Okay. Perhaps our doctor or psychologist will be the person. He may be one of our own family, but we cannot disclose anything to our wives or our parents, which would hurt them and make them unhappy. We have no right to save our own skin at another person's expense. Such parts of our story we tell to someone who will understand, yet be unaffected. So understand what? Be unaffected by what? Understand my search for the truth. Be unaffected by it when I tell it to them. Exactly. I, I need to understand that when I sit down to help you, that you are in your search for the truth. Not my truth, not your truth, the truth. And I'm unaffected by all the layers of that onion that we may have to peel to get to the truth. Does it make sense? Because I can't help somebody I'm judging. And if I can't stop my judgment, I can simply own my personal powerlessness not to judge and recuse myself because although I may understand, I am, I'm not unaffected. Does that make sense? That you grow in humility to realize you can't help everybody. Okay. So notwithstanding the great necessity for discussing ourselves with someone, it may be that one is so situated there is no suitable person available. Do you think that's true in Phoenix, Arizona today? Yeah. <laughs> so, so it may be that there is someone suitable, but there isn't a safe place to put things on paper that may involve 
complications with legal matters that we're not ready to address? Or does it see what John's talking about? If you work with certain people, there's certain, it really doesn't matter why they're afraid to disclose it. It matters that I'm in the spirit enough to know that they're experiencing fear and, and see if I can help them outgrow that fear, right? Because they're never going to get free until we do it, but until they feel safe, they're not safe, right? Okay. All right. So if that is so, this step may be postponed only, however, if we hold ourselves in complete readiness to go through it at the first opportunity. So all I really need to do is seal a commitment that are you ready to go through with it when it is safe? And if you are, then you're going to be fine. And if you're not, you may have some challenges. Not because I say so, but that's my experience. Because there was times I wasn't ready to go through with it. And I got another trip through the ringer out of that. That's what I got. So, and if they sent me to you, I just want to caution you that the creator of the universe does not send me out to treat hangnails. So if I got in front of you, you might want to take seriously what I'm trying to tell you. Because I'm just talking about me. But I almost never go out just to put a Band-Aid on a boo-boo. The ones I get to see are tore up from the floor up. Like all of you. <laughs> you don't think so? Can you imagine going to all the powers that be in this city, in the beginning of a worldwide pandemic, and say, don't trip. We're going to put 400 people freshly released from prison, and we're going to plop them right in the middle of Metro Center. It's going to be freaking epic. <laughs> He made a way where there was no way. And I believe I'll see him do it again. Right, right, right? Okay, so anyway, I got to get moving, Rob. All right, notwithstanding the great necessity of discussing ourselves with someone that maybe this person is so situated there is no suitable person available, if that is so, the step may be postponed only, however, if we hold ourselves in complete readiness to go through it at the first opportunity. You'll know that as a sensory experience. You'll know, how many of you got to the place where you didn't really want to tell all these things about yourself, but you met somebody, you were safe enough, you started telling them something about yourself? And the spirit informed you in that, right? If it, no one called it to your attention, that's just what happened. All of a sudden you felt safe when you had never felt safe. Okay. All right. So we say this because we're very anxious that we talk to the right person. It's important that he be able to keep a confidence, that he fully understand and approve what we are driving at, and that he will not try and change our plan. So that's, where you're, that's your growth pattern. No matter how disturbing your plan is, I'm not going to try and change it. I'm going to hear you. I, I may point out flaws, you know, it, you know, if your plan is to sell just one more eight ball to get set up for sobriety, we may have a chat. <laughs> I've heard it. They usually catch us on the next sentence. I think Denise heard that not too long ago. Look, I'm just going to sell the last bit of dope I got. I'm going to go to the casino. I'm going to double it. I'll be right back for treatment. <laughs> And the next letter we got was, oh, this is number 27-whatever. <laughs> anyway, we're probably still writing them, aren't we, Denise? 
When we decide who is to hear our story, we waste no time. So they're telling me what will happen to me when I'm ready. They're telling you, whoever you're working with, what's going to happen to them when they're ready. You're not going to have to plead with them. You're not going to have to beg with them. Desperation will drive them. They'll waste no time. They're ready to talk to somebody, and you're the appointed one. That make sense? Okay. So we have a written inventory, and we're prepared for a long talk, so you'll know what it looks like when they're ready. They'll have a written inventory, and they'll be prepared to talk. We explain to our partner what we're about to do and why we have to do it. How many of you would have had a hard time doing that when it was your first fifth step, fourth step? So you can see how the book, they didn't know at the time they wrote this, but they wrote this book for both sides. See, the 12th step, the spiritual awakening I'm seeking as the result, that's mine, not yours. That's why people think this is a selfish program. No, it's a selfless program, but they look very much the same to the uninitiated. See, I'm not capable of producing your spiritual experience, but I am capable of experiencing mine and recognizing that that's happening through me, not of me. And so when I feel you having yours, I know it's happening through you and not of you too, but I can call to your attention, that is the power we call God. So, so if you were not a believer before, now that you've been visited, tell me how you feel. And would you like to feel more like that in the future? And if you would, then here's what we do. Okay. All right. So he should realize that we're engaged upon a life and death errand. Do you realize the struggle we are in, in our society, with this human condition we all suffer from? Do you realize if we do not get free of our limiting thoughts, we, our thoughts, we are probably not going to end well? Okay, so it's a life and death errand, yes? yes? Most people approached in this way will be glad to help. They'll be honored by our confidence. So those of you who are afraid to ask somebody to help, trust and believe they will be honored by your confidence and their ability to hear them and help them. And if they aren't, they're not the right one. All right, so then it tells us some instruction. We pocket our pride and go to it. Why do they tell us that? They give us a pretty visual image. How many of you were still, when you sat down for a fifth step, were still holding on to that one thing? I ain't, tell, I ain't telling that. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to physically have to think my way into pocketing my pride. This is a life and death errand. I'm going to have to come clean. If not now, when? Right? So it's the idea, if you think you're the only one who ever sat down to a fifth step and have something to say that no one's ever heard of, if it has a name, you didn't invent it. Okay. So it says, it says, we pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Once we have taken this step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. So promise and condition. What's the promise? We are delighted. What was the condition? We've taken this step withholding nothing. How many of you did a fifth step and experienced delight? How many of you did a fifth step and did not? That's common too. We'll tell you why that is probably. But one of the, how many of you have heard a few fifth steps? How many of you had to call to their attention the flow of the spirit you felt for them? Because they're too dead in the spirit to feel it. you got to call to their attention what's happening in them. How many of you did a fifth step and you held that one little thing back? You got clear to the end 
And they said, what are you holding back? You thought, how the fuck do they know that? Any of you had that happen? How many of you that heard fist steps know how we know? Because when you let everything go, we get a flow of the spirit. And one thing this addict has always known is when you were holding my hit. You want to give up on your hit, go ahead, but you don't get to hold my hit, right? And if you don't believe me, do enough fifth steps and you'll know that I'm telling you the truth. You want to grow in the spirit, you want to prove the power of God to you, through you, help your brother or sister. Help them unpack. Help them get armed. Okay. So then it says some more promises. We can look the world in the eye. How many of you had a hard time there for a while? Keep, keeping your eyes on, not diverting your gaze. It's a pretty powerful promise to be able to just hold your head high, be who you are and whose you are and walk in it, right? Okay. So we can be alone at perfect peace and ease. How many of you found out that was a pretty powerful promise and it was more difficult than we imagined? Because they gave a condition, right? I can be alone. I've been alone, but I was not at perfect peace and ease. I was still at war. That's when I learned the world wasn't causing how I thought and felt. All by myself, I was engulfed in war. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And this, at this stage of my spiritual development, I had glimpses that it didn't have to be that way. Make sense? Okay. Our fears fall from us. What they tell me drove all my manifestations of self. Fear, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. I stepped on the toes of my fellows and they retaliated. Sometimes they hurt me seemingly without provocation. But I invariably find that at some time in the past I made decisions based on self, which later placed me in a position to be hurt. And I learned that in four and five, don't I? Okay. So then it says we began to feel the nearness of our creator. Now they're telling you we're talking about the tangible power that we in recovery call God. And we call that power God so we can agree on the experience of power in and through us. Because of the sensory nature, it's elusive. Right? If I don't call it, we agree to call this power something. Yes? So we begin to feel the nearness of our creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. So when we speak to you of a spiritual experience in 12-step recovery, they just told you there, we're speaking of a sensory experience. Not a chair, not a light bulb, not a group of drunks. It's found within a flow of the spirit. You'll feel it. And when you do, we'll call it to your attention and say, there, that's the power we call God. You'll never be the same, just like Justin said tonight. Some of you are feeling that now. Who's feeling that now? That's not happening up here. That's happening in you. That's happening in you. That's our job, to call to your attention the power of your creator in you. And that can be improved upon. And in a room full of druggies, that's a no-brainer. We don't seek abstinence in 12-step recovery. That's the biggest lie in the fellowship. I never lived well abstinent, and I don't live well abstinent today. What we seek is spiritual inebriation. And the most powerful flow of the spirit and the most drunk I've ever been in the spirit is when I'm sharing my testimony with another man or woman. 
Washington. So that the feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel that we're on the broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. So they paint another picture. What's it feel like to be on a broad highway? How many of you felt like you were on a tightrope a lot of your life? How many of you felt like you had a little more room to move when you started owning who you had been and realized what you had done was not who you were? What you'd done is just what you did. And then you grew a little more and you realized the way you think is not who you are. You're not your thoughts. You're the experiencer of your thoughts. And once I know I'm just the experiencer of my thoughts, I can then decide which ones to keep, which ones to let go of, right? right. You feel the empowerment of that? Yeah. Okay. So then it says, returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour. They're getting pretty precise, aren't they? Carefully reviewing what we've done. So what would we have done by this point? Took a look at what I had admitted to. Figured if there was more I needed to add, that type of thing. Yeah. Then it says, we thank God from the bottom. <laughs> That's good. That's really good. Thank you, Anthony. Anthony's keeping us on point. But. We thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. And I want you to call your attention. We've just felt this powerful flow of the spirit. So those of us who are of the atheist or agnostic persuasion, we finally understand what religious people have been telling us about all along, about the tangible flow of the spirit and the effects produced. And so now I'm not saying a prayer to something out there. I'm, not, I'm speaking to a power to live within me. It's personal. And I know he's there because he's just given me that signature through me. Yes? Okay. So that's the first honest prayer many of us ever say. I'm just calling to your attention because it's profound. It's one of the first honest prayers we ever say because we now are not talking about a God we don't know, right? That's right. There's another book that says, says you, you worship gods you don't know. But we, God's chosen, we worship what we do know. And I'm telling you, the time is coming and indeed has now come that you must worship in spirit and in truth. Yes. And the alcoholics said, we learned we had to fully concede to our innermost self. This is the first step in recovery. Why is that different than you must worship in spirit and in truth? It's not. It's just alcoholics anonymous for I found God. God wasn't lost. He actually found me. But I just kind of woke him up, you know. Hey, God, don't you see I am perishing? <laughs> anyway, so taking this book down from our shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps. So we're going to do that in a minute. Carefully reading the first five proposals, we ask if we've omitted anything for we're building an arch through which we shall walk a free man at last. And some questions. Is our work solid so far? So that's what I'm looking back. Did I do my inventory right? Did I tell everything I had to tell? Right? Are the stones properly in place? Okay. Have we skimped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? They're trying to get us understanding that I have to have a good foundation under me. The foundation under me is the power that animates me. So any of you who are biblically inclined, you'll understand that we stand firmly on the rock. If we don't build on the rock, we're liable to lose our tower in the shifting sands. Okay. 
Um, so if we can answer to our satisfaction, we then look at step six. So we're gonna have to go to the step page and see if we can answer to our satisfaction. So we gotta go back to page 59, because this is my first time and Sean's here to help me. <laughs> right, Sean? Yep. So in page 59, step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol. Powerless when? Yeah, a lot of times over the years I've heard people say, well, I'm only powerless after I take the first drink. Well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. And what the authors tell me is that the insanity is the first drink. Everything that happens after that is just the crazy shit that happens after that to guys like me. Because <laughs> pretty much anything's likely to happen after the first one. God only knows, right? Okay, so powerless, I am personally powerless over alcohol. Now, I'm not going to remain that way, but my admission of personal powerlessness is based on my experience, yes? Okay, that, we, that our lives had become unmanageable. There's a dash. So what they're trying to tell me in the English language is I'm also power, powerless to manage my own life. But they don't make me cop to that first. They, they don't even reveal to me what that manageability or unmanageability looks like until I'm in step two instructions after my encounter. Do you want to go back and look at that? Yeah. We better. Where are we going, Sean? <laughs> okay, we're going to go to 52. It says, in the middle of that page, we had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. Any of you discover that after you sobered up? says we couldn't control our emotional natures. Any of you have that discovery? Yeah. Did anyone ever point out to you that you were not designed as a human being to control your emotional nature? A lot of people don't understand that. Why don't you control yourself? Well, because that's pure delusion. I'm not designed to control my emotional nature. I'm designed to experience my emotional nature. But if I'll improve consciousness of the spirit within me, then... The spirit within me is not experiencing, you know, it's experiencing emotion, but it's bigger than the emotion. It's not the emotion. The whole idea of a powerful testimony is if I'll grow my consciousness, I'll be able to witness powerfully from emotional positions without being overcome by emotion because the spirit's stronger than the emotion. Does it make sense? And then I can, speak, I can speak to you with depth and weight because I can bring to consciousness for you the emotional depths we've all experienced, but I'm not overcome by them anymore because I've accessed power greater than me. Does it make sense? Okay. And then it says, we were prey to misery and depression. How many of you discovered that after you sobered up? It would be a handy little trick for people to tell us, wouldn't it? If you do not get busy in your recovery and become a very active servant of this power, you will experience depths of depression and misery that you have previously not known because you always medicated it away. It'd be nice for us to help people understand that. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. Couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. How many of you have noticed all throughout your life, as bad as it may have got, that you really did have an intention oftentimes to be helpful? 
but it didn't seem like the help you were offering was appreciated in the way. Have you ever had that happen? And then it made you more bitter? How many of you have started working with people in recovery and they saw that you were a man or a woman with a real solution? And you didn't have to go opine about their life. They came to you and said, man, you were a shit show. How did you get free? Because clearly you're doing better than me. And you got to just witness to them honestly. I don't know anything about how. But I'll tell you everything I know about who. His power, his love, his way of life. I got, how is above my pay grade? And you know what I'm talking about? Okay, was not a basic solution. These bedevilments more important than whether we should see new newsreels of lunar flight. So that's the unmanageability we're copying, copying to. Are we still okay with that admission now? Okay, and then it says, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So a hopeful declaration. And it says, I came to believe. So no one's expected to instantly being a, a devout believer. You'll grow in the experience. And your beliefs will be demonstrated by your actions. Your actions will start lining up with your intentions. Isn't that frustrating when we have a great intention and we cannot align our actions? You ever had that happen to you? Look at who I'm talking to. Of course you've had it happen to you. Okay, so we're going to come to believe through this process, and we're gonna encounter in this step this tangible power. Where do we find it? Deep down inside, and how do we find it? Sometimes we have to search fearlessly, right? And now we've started to encounter power and we're moving forward. Then it said, based on that, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him in italics. Notice how they did not say God of your understanding. It's the biggest lie in our fellowships. It's not what they said. They lay out clearly that he experienced the cool wind of a mountaintop blowing through and through. They, they witness all these flows of the Spirit, these powerful flows of the Spirit, and then we make shit up because we don't want anyone to not like us. I'd rather watch you die in your addiction than have you not like me. Is that who we want to be? I'm not telling you what to believe. I'm telling you what I believe and why. You don't have to follow me, do you? But if you want to get well, this is what I did. And this is what I experienced as a result. And that power you don't believe in, he sent me to you. He believes in you even if you don't believe in him. And those of you watching us online, this center will treat 1,800 people this year who thought they were forgotten. And they were not forgotten. God remembered them long ago. He sent that vision to us. We built a home for them, and they are coming to take over your communities. Bet on that. So four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. We've done that. And five, admitted to God. Admitted to that power within. So I took the facts about me to the truth within me, and I'm walking out a new creation. Right? Okay. And to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. And now we're back to page 76. If we can answer to our satisfaction, we then look at step six. So we're ready if we're all there. Okay. We have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. 
Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? So the entire instruction for six is in the word let. That's why people think there aren't any instructions there. So if people ask, well, how do I let go? It's a fair question. Self's the problem. If I'm aware of self, I haven't let go of self. But what I have learned, if I'll think of your needs and work for them, I can clearly see your needs even when I can't see my own. And if I'll focus on meeting your needs, mine will inevitably be met because I cannot transmit what I do not have. Does that make sense? So the entire instruction is to follow through with the rest of the process, but I'm going to have to let go of who I think I am and walk into who he says I am. Does it make sense? Okay. All right, so then some questions because I have sometimes had a foot in both worlds. Any of you had a foot in both worlds? Yeah. Okay. So can he now take them all, every one? How many of us have learned that having a foot in both worlds is not good? <laughs> okay. So it says if we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. So what they're disclosing to us is one of these mysteries in our fellowships. People say, well, you're just not willing. Well, of course not, because you have not been shown the love that you're entitled to, and willingness is divine power. So until I understand that, that I am lovable just because of my being and nothing because of my doing, then I will not accept that willingness within me, which is his righteousness through me. Does that make sense? Okay, so then it says, when ready, we say something like this, my creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding, amen. We've then completed step seven. I call to your attention the amen because that doesn't occur after the third step, although over the years some drunk put it there. Third step's only half the prayer. See, I hadn't had my eyes opened yet. I hadn't had my road to Damascus experience yet. But once I get past that, now I'm really going to need power. Bill Wilson said, this is the step that separates the men from the boys. I realize that's a bit of a sexist comment for modern era. But the reality is, I didn't need power to just have my eyes open. I just needed enough to go look. Another human being helped me get my eyes open. But now I'm going to go out and face those I've harmed. And I'm going to go out and redeem people with the same redemption I've experienced. And that is going to require a power greater than me because I will still be bothered with thoughts of trying to make you pleased with me as a result of my actions. And I cannot serve effectively if I'm worried what you think of me. Does that make sense? So there's your amen. I would suggest to you when you finally say your seventh step prayer, you need that agreement and you will have received that agreement. And so your life, even if you regress a little, will not be fun. Just a warning. Any of you get some clean time and then spin out for a minute or it's not as much fun anymore, is it? Yeah. So, so once I've asked for agreement, then the entire process is going to be about breaking that stuff off of me. And, and so just understand that this is a serious move. Thank you so very much. See you next week. <laughs>